Hi, this is Randy Sutton. Welcome to another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement. If you've never tuned in before, I am a 34-year law enforcement veteran. I am the author of A Cop's Life and the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. I'm also the founder of The Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. On this show, we talk about all things law enforcement, and um, there is never a shortage of topics to talk about. And today is no different. So let's dive right into it. Let's talk about some of the things that are in the news. And uh, what you read may not always be uh, which, uh, what the accuracy of, uh, of these reports. So let's dive right on into it. Um, there was just a, uh, uh, last night, a shooting in St. Louis of a 16-year-old who was armed with a gun. And during uh, the, the uh, patrol of, of uh, St. Louis PD, there was a unit that was uh, doing drug interventions and, and uh, uh, surveillance. And they had, a, uh, they had a, a viewpoint where they were watching drug sales taking place. And they saw a number of individuals who were armed, including this 16-year-old. So these officers with the St. Louis Police Department were dressed in, uh, in uh, vests that were emblazoned with the word police on the front and on the back and uh, gun belts. And, and it was pretty clear that they were law enforcement. So when they saw the uh, individuals with the guns, they approached and uh, the individuals ran. The 16-year-old ran. Uh, officers were in foot pursuit of him. He fell down, and when he fell down, he dropped the gun. Officers ordered him to stop and put his hands up. Instead, he reached for the gun, and as he picked the gun up, the officers opened fire, and they killed him. Um, this is a pretty clear case of use of deadly force when an individual is armed, uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't comply, and reaches for a weapon. So, unfortunately, because uh, once again, you know, we're talking about the, the uh, city of St. Louis, which is a very anti-law enforcement city with leadership that, um, that is anti-law enforcement, the, the accusations have already begun, uh, accusing the police of uh, excessive force, that uh, they didn't have to, you know, use their weapons, and the and the the local political leadership instead of backing the officers, which is you know, uh, of course there's going to be investigation, uh, but if, if the facts are as they are being stated, this is a justifiable use of force. Um, once again, the however the um, the political leadership of St. Louis is using this to divide the uh, the people from the police. You know, we, we consistently see the same things happening when it comes down to these uh, officer-involved shootings. And that is that there is a, it is all is, is based on um, not complying. Not complying with the officer's lawful orders. If you have a gun in your hand and you're facing the police, that's, I, what do you expect is going to happen? And 
And then, and then the, the officers are criticized. They're going to be investigated. They're going to be uh, dragged through the mud of the, uh, of, the, of the public sentiment because of the media. And, and we wonder why St. Louis can't hire cops. They just gave a test not too long ago, a police test. And I think, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, nobody showed up. And this is, this is happening all across America. Um, so this literally just happened last night. This is a brand new headline. So we'll have to see how it plays out. But, you know, once again, we're, we're going to see, we're going to see the narrative that comes from the media, that comes from the politicians, where it's, it's always law enforcement's fault, never accountability on the suspect, never accountability for the consequences where it belongs with the individual who is armed, not complying. And, and let me ask the parents this. I think this happened at like one o'clock in the morning. Um, where's your responsibility here? Why is your 16 year old out by himself at one o'clock in the morning with no supervision? Um, is there some, is there, is there something I'm missing here? Don't parents have some sort of responsibility for the whereabouts of their children. And my guess is that this is not this young man's first run in with the law. You don't just suddenly at 16, pick up a gun and start carrying around, um, in, uh, in an, in an, in an infested area where drug dealing is the norm. So we'll have to see how this plays out. But, um, you know, this, uh, once again, this terrible narrative, just continues to replicate itself because of the the political um, agenda of of uh, political leaders. Uh, I use that term, you know, with air quotes, so to speak. And then uh, and then the media. So, um, you know, these officers who who are forced to use deadly force. Uh, this is this is a um, a moment in a law enforcement officer's career that will haunt them. Um, no one, despite the narrative, no one that picks up that badge and gun uh, go out there in, with, the, with the intention to uh, take a life. And it is life-changing for the officer. There's never one person here who's the only person that's, that is affected. You know, you, there's the death of the individual. The family, of course, is is devastated, but the officers' lives are are changed forever as well, and uh, that's something that is really not spoken enough about. So lots of stuff going on in uh, law enforcement. I want to talk to you about what um, a phrase that I that I, I'm now using uh, because this has become a major issue throughout America. It's called under policing. Since the, um, since the George Floyd riots, and that's what they were, they weren't peaceful protests, they were riots where the cities burned and people died and businesses were ruined, um, all based on, on the false narrative of, of institutionalized racist policing because of, uh, because of George Floyd, who I can assure you was, uh, was not a deity, um, was a uh, an individual who 
uh, took enough um, enough narcotics during an arrest process that was fatal. That uh, um, of course the the optics of this were horrendous. Uh, the police response to it was incorrect, and and as a result, um, George Floyd died. This wasn't a this wasn't a a, a planned occurrence. This was uh, once again based on non-compliance. Uh, if George Floyd had simply done what he was told to do when officers were investigating him, then George Floyd would be alive today. Uh, however, that's not what happened and resulted in his death at the hands of the police. And the, and the cities burned um, throughout the United States. As a result of that, um, massive changes in policing have now taken place. None for the better. None for the better. So we have now seen a mass exodus of law enforcement officers across the United States. Why? Because of the way that these officers are now being treated uh, by the cities that employ them, by the media, which, uh, which uh, um, makes them out to be you know, racist killers, and by the uh, social justice warriors in positions of power, uh, district attorneys who no longer prosecute uh, for, for crimes. And as a result, we have under-policing in America. Pretty much every major city now is not staffed to the levels needed to adequately police the cities. And as a result, we are seeing crime raise, rising to levels never before seen. You look at the murder rate, the sexual assault rate, the armed robbery rate, the uh, aggravated assault rates across the major cities of America, and they are at, at um, levels never before seen. And instead of being concerned about the public safety as a result of, uh, of the, the um, incidents of the past, the political leadership in these cities are, are instead of, of, of addressing this issue of public safety, they're doubling down in many instances. For instance, um, the state of Illinois has just recently begun implementing what is called the Safe Act, S-A-F-E-T Act. This is, this is the most radical anti-law enforcement, anti-public safety legislation ever, ever devised in America. Um, and it was passed by a lame duck assembly they voted on it at 3 o'clock in the morning, this 800-page bill that no one had an opportunity to read, and they literally passed it in the middle of the night. And then, and then they, 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 be, they began implementing it here recently. This, this, this was uh, actually passed a year ago, but somehow flew under the radar. Well, now that, that these implementations are starting to take place, this is going to... This is going to radically affect the safety of everyone in the state of Illinois. 
Now, we've all seen how the no bail, low bail has been working out in New York and in L.A. and other places, right? The, the, in, the, the constant re-arresting of offenders. We've seen how that, that's worked out. It, it, it hasn't, right? Well, Illinois is about to do the same thing for not just nonviolent offenses, for almost every offense. So um, there will be no bail for kidnapping. There will be no bail for robbery. You just get a ticket and see you later. It, it is, it's mind-boggling. And, and, and these, these leftist politicians are crowing about it like this is, like this is the best for the public. I don't, I don't know what weird utopian planet these people are living on in their brains, but this is going to, or right now, the, I mean, look at Chicago. The bodies are just piling up. And what is, what, as the crime soars, as murders, as aggravated assaults, as shootings and robberies are just going through the roof, what is the, the, what are the politicians doing? They're doing everything to make it impossible to police. What do I mean by that? Well, one of the things that the Chicago police just implemented is a basically a ban on foot pursuits. You heard me right. So police officers see a crime take place, tell the guy to stop. They don't. They run. And now they have to go through this bureaucratic process to get permission to chase the guy. It, it is absolutely mind-boggling. And, and, and who's going to pay the price? The people who live there. As, as they see the criminal justice system crumbling. Crumbling because of policies put in place by the mayor, who is just a complete, utter failure, and the police leadership, which follows, which just follows the, the orders of the mayor and incompetently leads the men and women of Chicago PD. Now, as a result, the cops are leaving in droves, leading to what I call, once again, under-policing. And what does under-policing look like? Well, one of the things, and I cover this in my, in my new book, Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety, is who's answering the 911 calls? If you don't have enough police officers, the cops ain't coming. And we're seeing this across America. The people are sometimes calling 911, and it takes hours to get a response. This is not what policing is supposed to be. And then when, when the public safety is once again um, threatened, the politicians blame the police. It, it's madness, but it is, it is the new reality. So let's, let's talk about some of this stuff. Um, this is, this is a, a, a headline that is heartbreaking. Men out on bond for murder allegedly killed deputy constable. Houston, Texas. This is from the Police Tribune. 
Police arrested two suspects who were already out on bond on other murder charges for killing Harris County Precinct 3 Deputy Constable Omar Erson last month. Harris County Sheriff's Office said the incident occurred at 6.30 p.m. on Madera Run Parkway. Harris County Park or County Precinct 3 Constable Sherman Eagleton said a 37-year-old deputy constable was off duty and picking up dinner for his family when he was fatally shot while driving near Westlake Middle School. Um, the, uh, the authorities said the gunman fled in a dark-colored four-door sedan. And uh, on September 9th, an arrest was announced uh, that 20-year-old Ashim Taylor and 20-year-old Jalen Womack had been taken into custody. Now, the, the stark reality here is that these two individuals um, were out on bond for, for other murders. How is it possible? How is it possible that our criminal justice system has failed? Um, they were both out on, on $75,000 bonds in connection with other murder cases. That's plural, by the way. Murder cases. Womack is facing murder charges in connection with a robbery in Northeast Houston in 2021. Taylor charged with capital murder in connection with a deadly 2021 car sale meetup. We don't, I don't even know what that means. Um, the uh, reason for the shooting is unknown. So I, you know, 75,000. Well, that sounds like a lot of money, right? But you know what that really means? It means $7,500. That means that you can commit a murder in Houston and life is, is so cheap there that um, you can post 7,500 bucks and be on your merry way, and then be free to kill some more people. I was talking to a Harris County deputy uh, detective just uh, just about a month ago. He told me that there are more than 300, you heard me correctly, 300 murderers out on either no bond at all or low, or low bail in that city alone. If that doesn't scare you, it should. This is the failure of the criminal justice system. This is the failure of prosecutors holding murderers accountable. This is the failure of the judicial system for allowing this to happen. And you hear almost nothing about it. Do you think that, that, that the, um, the murder of that deputy by two career criminals out on bond for murder, do you think that that, that that was national news? It wasn't. It was ignored. If you weren't listening to it here, you probably would never even know about it. And this is part of the problem, that there is literally disinformation, misinformation, and a, and a blackout of law enforcement information across America because it doesn't fit the narrative of the political left and the national media. It's, it, it hurts my heart. It truly does. It hurts my heart for the family of this deputy constable who was only going out to get dinner for his, for his wife and children to die in, a, in such a 
senseless, senseless way. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the povidone iodine-based nasal spray, Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20%. By using promo code OUTLOUD. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. I want to talk about a, um, a subject that uh, is, is close to the hearts of law enforcement, and that is their own personal safety. People who are anti-law enforcement, uh, Antifa, uh, other activist groups, have learned to dox police officers across the United States. They, what they do is they find information about these officers through the Internet. And I was really shocked to find out just how much information there is about you and I and officers across the United States that, that these uh, officers can be identified, their homes can be identified, um, their families, vehicles that they utilize. So there is a company called OfficerPrivacy.com, started by a, a police officer who discovered this issue and decided that he was going to help these officers throughout the United States by making it safer for them by removing information on the Internet that, that can lead to them being doxxed and identified. So... If you are a law enforcement officer, 
you know an officer, an, a law enforcement officer, tell them about officerprivacy.com. It's very inexpensive. It's, uh, but it, 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 is, it is, I think, a necessity in this day and age that every officer um, uh, follow these, these protocols and, and engage in a service like this uh, for their own safety and the safety of their family. So uh, check it out, officerprivacy.com. You know, the officer safety is something that we talk a lot about on this show. And um, my organization, The Wounded Blue, which is a national charity that helps injured and disabled officers across the country, exists because of the number, vast number of, of police officers who are being injured in the line of duty. Now, those injuries can be physical or they can be emotional and psychological. I, I've never seen, I've never seen the emotional upheaval and psychological upheaval um, affecting law enforcement officers more than today, because of everything that's happening in the criminal criminal justice system with the media, with the politicians. So we're seeing an exodus of cops. We're seeing the mental health of, of police officers being challenged. And so the wounded blue exists to assist these men and women. But we need your help. Learn more about the organization by going to thewoundedblue.org. Now, if you are a law enforcement officer or have been, I'm going to tell you about an incredible training conference coming up October 11th through the 14th in Terre Haute, Indiana. It is called the Second Annual National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. It is incredible training. Four days in Terre Haute, every aspect about surviving a law enforcement career, physically and tactically, of course, but also emotionally, psychologically, relationship-wise, surviving your, your own leadership. These are, these are topics that are absolutely critical and crucial for an officer's career. So I urge you, if you are a police officer, if you know an officer, let them know about this training conference. Um, what's really, really cool about this is that it's being that there are many of the seats in this in this survival summit are being given or they're being gifted to police officers by two organizations, um, one of which is is uh, headed by the sister of a murdered Terre Haute police officer, Shelley Klingerman, and the other, the widow of a murdered police officer in Champaign, Illinois. Together, they've teamed up with the Wounded Blue to offer this life-saving training. Don't hesitate to look it up right now on the woundedblue.org website. Register for it. If you, if you, it's a $295 fee, it's cheap, but if you can't afford it, put in this promo code, BLUE911. There's a promo code up at the top of the registration, BLUE911. If you are a law enforcement officer and you can't, you can't do that $295, do not worry about it. It'll be gifted to you by these two organizations. So go to thewoundedblue.org. Go to events. It'll tell you all about the Survival Summit. Register for it and, and put in the code BLUE911. Register for it and meet me in Terre Haute, Indiana, October 11th through the 14th. It is the National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. I hope to see you there. And by the way, bring your spouse. Because when a police officer is suffering, there's 
the family also suffers. So we, we accommodate these officers and we, we encourage them to bring their spouse because many of these presentations um, will be really, really um, uh, part of, of your relationship, okay? So well, once again, Terre Haute, Indiana, October 11th through the 14th, second annual National Law Enforcement Survival Summit, the best presenters in the country will be there. Um, you know, as the, as, the, as the criminal justice system is failing across America because of the defunding movement, because of, of uh, activist district attorneys failing to do their jobs of prosecuting and instead deciding that they are going to uh, give a pass for almost every crime, um, we're seeing that the public is, is now in a quandary. What do they do? How do they defend themselves? So let me tell you what one New York neighborhood is doing. Greenwich Village residents hire armed security to patrol crime-ridden neighborhood. You know, this, this headline tells a lot because what it is saying is that law enforcement has failed. The city has failed their people, and they are now having to come out of pocket to hire armed security guards. This is madness. Crime has gotten so bad in New York's famous Greenwich Village neighborhood that a community group hired armed security guards to patrol their streets. The armed security guards were hired by the West 4th Mac 6 Block Association and paid for with money contributed by residents and local businesses. Neighbors said crime has gotten so out of control in Greenwich Village since the pandemic hit. A rash of muggings brought the crime problem to the forefront again recently. But New York Police Department statistical data showed overall crime in Greenwich Village was up 80% so far this year. 80%. So fed up residents and business owners ponied up 18,000 bucks to pay for two armed security officers to patrol the area. And a, um, a business owner said it's the worst it's been in 25 years when it comes to crime. A frustrated resident started a group for concerned community members and they came up with a plan for armed security. And uh, it's not 24 hours and they found that when Security guards were there. Crime went down. No kidding, really. But here's here's the question I have. So suppose suppose the, the these armed security guards interrupt crime, and they are forced to uh, use deadly force. Are they going to face the same issues that that law enforcement does, or are they going to be held um, accountable by the district attorney? who is so anti-law enforcement, remember, this is the same district attorney that um, recently, when a bodega was, uh, a, a bodega owner was attacked and beaten by a suspect and defended himself by stabbing the, the individual who was beating him to death, the district attorney wanted to charge the bodega owner. So now, let me ask you. So you got, you hire these armed security guards and they're, they got a gun on their, their hip for a reason. So what's going to happen when they have to use it to defend themselves or somebody else? And this is, 
this is where the thinking process of, of the New York City Council, which is clearly anti-law enforcement, clearly anti-public safety, and, and you have a system that has absolutely failed there, and none of the state legislature is even addressing it in any way whatsoever. They just watch the body count rise, they watch the crime rate go up, and they do nothing. So what is it going to take for the citizens of New York City to wise up? Are they going to do what, what this group of folks did? Is everybody going to have to go out and hire private security? You know, when, when leadership, political leadership fails, how come we're not seeing them held accountable? Political leadership is constantly screaming, we got to hold the police accountable. Got to hold the police accountable. Who's holding them accountable? The fact of the matter is, the only place that they're held accountable is at the voting booth. They can go for years degrading the criminal justice system, making the streets less safe for, for their, their, the same people that voted them into office, and no one's holding them accountable whatsoever. And, um, and, and of course, this, is, this backlash is, is, uh, is just beginning because people are, are scared. So let's look at what, what one city is doing to combat it. This is uh, from a headline. New Orleans unveils $80 million plan to retain city's police officers and recruit new personnel. New Orleans police are in free fall. Their, their morale is, is literally circling the drain. Their uh, number of police officers in the city have dwindled to a dangerous, dangerous number. Officers are concerned for their own safety because there's no backup. And the leadership of, of the New Orleans PD has been dismal, dismal, which is one of the major reasons why people are leaving. Plus the pay is dismal as well. So now out of desperation, because, because things are so bad there that the mayor is now putting forth this proposal. The city of New Orleans is considering implementing, this is considering implementing an $80 million incentive package to help recruit and retain officers at the city's dramatically understaffed police department. Uh, the New Orleans Police Department's worsening manpower shortage has reached crisis level, according to WVUE in New Orleans. Quote, if they say a 1,000 officers, they're including a ton of different people that aren't even at the district level, unquote, a recently retired NOPD sergeant told WVUE at the time. If you were to take some of those numbers, and he's referring to the numbers of, of police officers that they are saying New Orleans PD has, and knock them down, start trying to deduct administrative stuff and things like that, you're looking well below 1,000. Uh, you start getting to the streets, you've got a lot of disgruntled, low morale, tired, emotionally and mentally exhausted police officers. 
The retired sergeant and multiple other law enforcement sources said that as few as 430 officers were actually out on the streets responding to calls. 430 officers for the entire city of New Orleans. He says sometimes you might get two, three people working the street in a whole district. You got police officers having to make the decision. There's only two or three of us. Where's my backup? Homicides are up 46% since last year and 142% since 2019. If, 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 if this doesn't scare you, it damn well should. And what it shows is, once again, the, uh, the leadership. Um, and, and, you know, we were talking about under-policing. Um, with fewer officers available to handle calls, the average response time for high-priority 9-11 calls has topped 30 minutes. 30 minutes. You're, you're, being, you're being robbed. You're being beaten. You're calling 911. You're asking for the cavalry to come. 30 minutes. Um, by the time that happens, it's over. And it may be over permanently. This is a major, major failure. And we're seeing this across country. New Orleans isn't the only one. Um, even in, in my city, where, where I retired from, Las Vegas Metro, recruitment is down 70%. So if, if cops are retiring at unprecedented rates, nobody is, is coming in to take their place, we are seeing a diminishment of law effective law enforcement across the United States. This is a crisis, and it is not being addressed. Have you heard about it? Other than maybe if you if you watch certain news stations, you're certainly not hearing it. If you're listening and watching the mainstream media. But this is something that every American needs to be concerned about. So I'd, I'd like you to take a look at my book. Go to rescuing911.org. Rescuing911.org. It'll be coming out in a couple months. Uh, we've got thousands of people signed up for um, when it comes out uh, to be notified. Get on that list because everything that I talk about on this show, you're gonna you're gonna see and hear some amazing um, uh, information, and it's it's, it's hair raising stuff really. But together, um, we have to fight this. You and myself. And people from across America, we 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 have to do this for the safety of our our families, our children, and the future. So go to rescuing911.org and check out that book. You know, you, you you rarely hear about all the great work that cops are doing, but um, there was just a pretty wild video that came out. California deputy drives through raging wildfire to save an elderly couple. The deputy's drive was caught on dash camera footage, which shows the intense flames and zero visibility conditions. This is in El Dorado County, um, California. Sheriff's deputy is being hailed as a hero after saving an elderly couple during the Mosquito Fire. According to ABC 10, the couple called from an evacuated area saying they were stuck inside the fire line, didn't have a way out. A deputy drove his cruiser through the fire line to rescue the couple and their two dogs. Uh, but before the deputy could leave with the couple, the fire had spread, and there was a lot of smoke. Um, 
He had to stop the cruiser. Flames touched the cruiser at one point. Um, and luckily, I mean, through the grace of God, this, this uh, deputy was able to rescue these two people and their two dogs. And that kind of bravery is happening across America literally every day. The, 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 um, the, the work that our officers are doing across the country are rarely being um, act, uh, actively, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, they're, they're, the word is not getting out about all the great work that they do. Uh, I was asked on a recent national interview, what is, it, what is it that the police really need? And I said, what the police really need is a really good PR company. Because all the phenomenal work, all the brave, all the kindness, the compassion that these officers are doing every single day simply is not getting put out into the public. Why? I mean, in some cases, I guess, you know, the, 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 there's an old press phrase, if it bleeds, it leads, you know. If it's something negative, they'll put it out. The, the media will put it out. But acts of kindness and compassion, bravery, like we just saw, um, you won't see that on the mainstream media. And, and that's, you know, that's a shame. Because if the public really knew how, um, how much great work is being done by their law enforcement, we would have a lot less of the... Of the uh, anti-negative, the anti-law enforcement narrative out there. But unfortunately, these men and women just go literally out there every single day and they slog through this, um, putting their lives on the line. I mean, I'm going to tell you at the end of the show about more officers who were, who were killed in the line of duty, um, ambushed. So, you know, think about how you can help these officers. And I, once again, I, I point to my organization, the wounded blue, and and you know you can show your support for these men and women by going to the Wounded Blue and donating whatever you can, five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, whatever you can do, because these men and women truly need to know that they are supported. Um, now, you know, we talk. I always there's it seems to be certain states that I always have to talk about when it comes down to the madness the anti-law enforcement madness that is engulfing this country. It's always California. It's always New York. It seems always it's uh, uh, Minneapolis area uh, or uh, Oregon or Seattle area. Um, but New Jersey is right up there with the craziness. So I'm going to read, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you about this, this headline that came out, but I need to explain it to you. So you understand where it comes from. Um, years ago, under under uh, President Bush, um, a safe a, a law, what was called the Law Enforcement Officer Safety Act was put into place. Now, what what is the Law Enforcement Officer Safety Act, LEOSA? Because police officers and retired police officers are highly trained and and. Uh, uh, know how to use their firearms, um, the federal government made a law that any retired police officer who retired honorably and qualified with his firearm was legally allowed to carry that weapon um, in, in any state in the union and concealed. 
So any retired police officer and any active duty police officer, regardless of their jurisdiction, was given the authority to carry their weapon uh, concealed, like a CCW permit, but nationwide. And the reason for that is because these officers, even though, I mean, I'm retired, but I'm, I've actually had to utilize my firearm um, to, in order to save someone's life uh, that was being threatened. So I'm willing to do that because I know that, that I'm capable of, of, of acting in, in, a, in a way that, will, that can save lives, as every other cop is. So the state of New Jersey, however, is the only state that said, we don't recognize the Law Enforcement Officer Safety Act. You, you have to go get a permit through the state of New Jersey. The only one. Now, federal law always trumps state law, right? But they just said, nah, we don't, nah, we're not going to listen to you. So they, so they were sued. And this is the result of the lawsuit. New Jersey's Attorney General just lost its next battle in its attempt to deny Leosa rights after the successful U.S. District Court ruling ordering New Jersey to fully implement Law Enforcement Officer Safety Act the state filed a motion for a stay to that order, as well as a motion to appeal the ruling. The Third Circuit just denied the state's request for the stay, forcing the state to fully implement LEOSA per the original order. But they're still going to appeal. They've lost every single hearing, every single appeal. Why? What is it in the state of New Jersey's DNA that says, I don't want trained, armed police officers on our city streets being able to save the lives of people during active shooters, which is what, what this entire act is designed to do. To have good guys with guns, as the, as the phrase goes, out there with the ability to intercede when someone's life is threatened. What, what is it about New Jersey? Now, in, 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 to, to give you some context, I was actually a New Jersey police officer for 10 years before joining the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. And they have some of the, the most ridiculous, stringent gun laws in, in the country. And, and, and now the federal government creates a law. Now, this is not a new law. It's been out for 20 years. They still refuse to accept it. And they're going to, and they're willing to, to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxpayers' money to fight a federal law that enhances the public safety. What, what, I mean, I, it's, it's almost mind-boggling what the politicians are, are, their thinking process. Anyway, but they got their butts handed to them in another court ruling. And they can appeal it all the way up to the Supreme Court. They're going to get the same answer. But they're like little children that aren't, you know, getting their way. Oh, we're going to, I'm going to appeal some more. It is crazy. Um, so remember I was telling you about some of the in, in, insane laws that are being, and, and policies that are being placed. Chicago police officers will no longer be allowed to chase people on foot. Uh, Department Tuesday, more than a year after two foot pursuits ended with officers fatally shooting people. Well, um, 
if people run from the police after committing crimes and they have guns, what are the police supposed to do? But the, in, in, the, in the wisdom of the uh, city management in Chicago and the police management, instead of enforcing the laws actively and, and um, uh, with, with, with some sort of cohesive plan, they just say to the cops, just don't, don't, don't chase anybody. Because if you don't chase anybody, you won't have to shoot anybody. This, this weird type of thinking where it's like, it's like burying your head in the sand and saying, let's just pretend we don't see this. And, they, and they, so if the police don't interact, that means there won't be another high-profile shooting, which will, which will um, you know, reflect badly upon us, the politicians. That's all this is about. This isn't about justice. This isn't about safety. This is about politics. And who does it affect? It affects the people in Chicago. As the violence continues to just ramp up and ramp up, um, I mean, they were bragging the other day that the mayor was that they only had like 50 shootings during the weekend. You know, 11 murders. That was that was down from the the, the previous weekend. They were crowing about it. Yeah, this you see, we're doing that. We're doing something. They're not. The only thing they're doing is making the situation worse. And by, by creating policies like that, um, all that does is hamstring the police. Now we know why, of course, Chicago PD is um, so understaffed. They're all leaving. And now they, now they, 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 they implement this Safety Act, um, which is the worst, most anti-public safety laws ever passed in the United States. And... Um, and they're not being held accountable. They're not being held accountable at all. Um, and of course, Black Lives Matter, which which was responsible for you know much of the the death and destruction, anti law enforcement uh, narrative. Uh, this is kind of a, an interesting. This is this is like the fourth article like this. Activists accuse Black Lives Matter leader Shaloma Bowers of stealing ten million dollars. The new leader of the National Black Lives Matter nonprofit siphoned more than $10 million in fees from donors to pay his consulting firm. <laughs> but the BLM leader says uh, the case against him is nothing more than a power grab by disgruntled activists. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Um, $10 million to uh, have a lavish lifestyle. Mr. Bowers decided he could not let go of his personal piggy bank, um, says BLM grassroots charged in a lawsuit. Instead, he continued to betray the public trust by self-dealing and breaching his fiduciary duties. Instead of using the donations for its intended purposes, he diverted these donations to his own coffers. And, uh, uh, but now he, the, he's claiming that it's racism, that he's being accused of this even though the people that are accusing him of stealing the money are other people in Black Lives Matter. Um, in another shocking 
shocking display of a criminal justice system failure. Shooting spree leaves four dead in Memphis and paralyzes the city. Police arrested a 19-year-old, they said, carrying out a string of shootings. Now, this guy FaceTimed his murders. He just picked people at random and, and laughed about it, enjoyed it, enjoyed it, killing people, shooting others. And it turns out, well, guess what? He never should have been out of prison. That he had been released early. He had been sentenced to three years for another violent crime. They let him out after 11 months. And... Uh, uh, and now we see this, and what do politicians do? They, they continue to force reforms, quote-unquote, um, on, on the, the criminal justice system, and this is what happens. You see more death, more destruction, more families torn apart because of their political agenda. Sickening, just sickening. So at the end of our show, we're, uh, we're coming up towards the, towards the end. Um, I do what's called end of watch, where we eulogize those law enforcement officers who gave the ultimate sacrifice and died in the line of duty. And unfortunately, I have more names to read this week. First is Correctional Officer 3, Caitlin Brian Ritnor of Texas Department of Criminal Justice System. Correctional Officer 3, Caitlin Ritmore, was killed in a vehicle crash while leaving the Ruben M. Torres unit in Hondo. She had worked an assignment at the Torres unit, was returning to a regular duty station uh, when her car was struck by an oncoming vehicle. She succumbed to her injuries at the scene. She had served with the Texas Department of Criminal Justice for five months. Five months. Survived by her mom, father, sister, grandparents. Correctional Officer 3, Kaylin Brian Rittnor, Texas Department of Criminal Justice System, end of watch, Saturday, September 3. 2022. The next two died in the same incident, same tragic, tragic incident. Police officer Dylan Michael Vakoff and Deputy Sheriff Marshall Samuel Irvin. Uh, police officer uh, Vakoff was with the Arvada Police Department in Colorado. Deputy Sheriff Irvin with the Cobb County uh, Sheriff's Office. Excuse me, this is, these are two separate incidents. <laughs> Um, the the uh, police officer D uh, Dylan Michael Vakoff was with the Arvada County, Arvada Police Department, uh, was shot and killed while responding to a domestic disturbance at the 6700 block of uh, 51st Avenue, 1.40 a.m. He and another officer were attempting to break up a fight between the family members when one of the involved men opened fire, wounding a woman who was also involved in the disturbance. The subject then exchanged shots with Officer Vakoff and the other officer. Officer Vakoff was mortally wounded before the subject was also shot. Officer Vakoff was transported to the hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. Officer Vakoff was a U.S. Air Force veteran that served the Arvada Police Department for three years. Police Officer Dylan Michael Vakoff, Arvada Police, Colorado, end of watch, Sunday, September 11th, 2022. And the next... Two officers died in the same incident. Deputy Sheriff Marshall Samuel Irvin and Deputy Sheriff Jonathan Koleski were shot and killed while serving a felony warrant uh, in Marietta shortly before 8 p.m. They were taking the subject into custody when another subject inside the home confronted them with a firearm. 
Both deputies gave commands for the man to drop the firearm before an exchange of shots. Both deputies suffered fatal wounds. The wanted subject and the shooter both barricaded themselves in the home, but were both taken into custody later. Deputy Sheriff Marshal Samuel Irvin and Deputy Sheriff Jonathan Koleski, Cobb County Sheriff's Office, Georgia. End of watch, Thursday, September 8th, 2022. Each of these officers died in the line of duty, serving their communities. And unfortunately, they, uh, they uh, follow thousands of officers who have given their lives in the line of duty. That's the end of our show. Um, once again, I ask you to go to thewoundedblue.org, give what you can, support these men and women. They truly need your support. They deserve your support. If you want to contact me, Randy, at thewoundedblue.org, if you want to be a sponsor of The Wounded Blue and you're uh, a supporter of law enforcement, contact me personally, randy at thewoundedblue.org. And uh, you can also see me on Facebook, The Voice for American Law Enforcement and The Wounded Blue. Thanks for joining me. And uh, I hope you're hearing this show or watching the show on America Out Loud or iHeartRadio or any of the many platforms we're on. Thanks so much. This is Randy Sutton.